Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Joshua 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. This is the word of the Lord. The title of this morning's message is How to have joy in God. Keep yourselves from idols. God made you to enjoy him. To have your greatest satisfaction in him. And to treasure him above all others. Neglecting to enjoy God supremely is idolatry and warrants his judgment and his jealousy. Everyone wants to be happy. It is a cross-cultural norm. What does being happy mean to you? To some, being happy means doing one's duty. To others, having a happy life means bringing honor to one's family or clan. To others, happiness is found in romance or wealth and financial security, or in sexual stimulation, or in your kids being successful, or in having many kids, or in spending lots of time with friends and family, or in having everything your way and everyone else doing just exactly what you want them to do. Control freaks. To you, maybe happiness means being respected. Is success at work, or success in marriage, or success as a parent what you want most in life? Maybe you know right now what exactly will make you happy. You'll be happy if you can just change that one thing in your life. 
Maybe you enjoy deep intimacy and awe of God during a worship meeting with your congregation, and you find that that satisfies your soul more than all of the above. Whatever it is that makes you tick, whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that makes you truly happy, that's what you're hoping for. Whatever you want most in life, you're going to have to pay for it. It's going to cost you probably a lot. You're going to have to make sacrifices along the way. But when the pursuit of your happiness keeps you from enjoying Christ, you have broken the first commandment. You have put something before God. Whatever it is that you believe will make you happy, I hope you don't get it if it costs you your relationship with Christ. If you end up getting that thing or that person or being successful in what you're trying so hard to do and you stop following Christ to get it, then you pay a price too high. No matter what we're working on, we can't afford to give up spending time with the Lord every day. We can't afford to give up meeting with the saints in your congregation on the Lord's Day to enter the presence of Almighty God together. We can't afford to give up time in prayer so that we can spend all of our time and energy focusing on that other thing that if we're honest with ourselves, we wanted more. Do you think that something in your life has taken your attention away from Jesus Christ who saved you? Can you think of anything that, at the end of the day, when you're totally honest with yourself, you would rather have than Christ? Is something or someone else at the, at the peak, at the pinnacle of your thoughts and desires? Anything that holds your attention so that you are no longer acknowledging the Lord in all your ways is an idol to you. Is there a way for you to learn to love Christ more than that which has crowded him out of your life? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And that's what we're here together today to find. That brings us to Christian hedonism. At this point, you might be thinking this is a sermon on idolatry. This is a sermon on Christian hedonism. Hedonism is a word that means the pursuit of pleasure, of happiness. That's what we all want in one form or another. There's a reason for that. The reason we all want to be happy in our own way is not because of the sum of the chemical reactions in your brain making a purely biological instinct to seek your own life and welfare. The reason we all want to be happy is because we were all made in the same factory. We were all made by the same manufacturer. We are all made in the image of God. Because we are made by God and for God, 
we have certain desires, certain thirsts, certain hungers and longings of our souls, the, the thirst of our innermost being. Jesus put it this way. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. John chapter 7, verse 39. Then he said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Wow. If anyone is thirsty, I'm going to give you rivers. Jesus, I just wanted a glass of water. No. Jesus doesn't do glasses of water. Jesus doesn't measure it out to you in teaspoonfuls. Is your soul weary? Are you troubled in heart? He is going to give you joy that persists and energizes. Do you feel like you're in a dry and weary land where there is no water? He will satisfy your soul as with fat and rich food. Are you lonely and afraid? The psalmist says, Jesus makes me both lie down and sleep in safety. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Are you thirsty? Jesus isn't going to give you a sip of water. He's going to make your cup overflow. He came to make rivers of living water flow out of your innermost being. How's he going to do that? The Holy Spirit, by whom he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You're going to fellowship with the Holy Spirit in an intimate, special, real way that changes your life and changes your perspective. That's what the Christian life is all about. Jesus is the king of the whole world. Being in the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. That's what the Christian life is all about. Righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Peace that surpasses understanding and stays with you when you're surrounded by enemies. And joy that makes you worship even when your life is falling apart. Remember Paul and Silas when they were in prison after being flogged? It was a brutal flogging. What were they doing late that night? They were singing hymns. They were having a worship meeting. You could have everything in the world that you ever thought would make you happy. And compared to Paul and Silas with their ripped up, bleeding backs in searing pain, in jail, in some city they didn't live in, and compared to them, you'd be in poverty. Your riches would be like pennies 
compared to the riches of their joy in Christ. I don't know what you call the kind of joy those guys had, but it was welling up in them like a spring of living water. It was gushing out of them. They were worshiping in the middle of the night in a foreign jail. Don't you want that kind of joy? You can have it. That's part of what Jesus came to give you. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say you wouldn't go through terrible things. Quite the opposite. He said that his disciples would be treated like this, and I quote, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me, unquote. Jesus said both that we would go through hard things and that if he is our king, that is, if we believe in him, have our hope in him, that he himself will be with us and will be our God. He will satisfy us in the morning with his unfailing love that we may sing for joy, Psalm 90. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. Isaiah 58. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Psalm 145. There is no bread but Jesus that will ever satisfy your hunger. There is no water like the Holy Spirit to quench your thirst. There is no God but our God who will satisfy that longing in your soul. You were made for him. And he made you to be with him and to enjoy him. Augustine put it this way. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That restless hunger in our hearts exists so God can fill it. But we are always putting something or someone in God's place. Why is that? Why would we make an idol out of other things that experience has already told us did not satisfy and will not satisfy. Anything that you go to for joy instead of going to Christ has already become an idol to you. How do you know if something in your life has taken Christ's place? If your heart or if your attention or if your time is totally focused on other things and you're neglecting Christ, then Christ no longer has first place in your hearts, does he? You have an idol. Let's review today's scripture reading taken from Exodus chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, God said this, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, 
no idols. Put nothing and no one before me, not your family, not your job, not your reputation, not the pursuit of your own pleasure. Picture a large room. In it is a big throne. This is the inside of your heart. Jesus belongs there on that throne, ruling every area of your life. When the thing that drives you in life is not Jesus, but a burning desire for another thing, then is it not that thing that rules you? Could, can you really say that Jesus is your king? Can you? Does he get his way? Is your prayer not my will, but your will be done? Is your prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, anywhere and any time, here I am, Lord, I have come to do your will. Does Christ get to tell you what to do? Or are you ruled by passions and evil desires and greed, which is idolatry? So since God made us to glorify him by enjoying him, and since nothing else in life truly satisfies, why are we always making little idols out of lesser things? Let's face it. We are idol-making factories. We are always putting other things in the place of God. So that's why God himself had to take his own wrath upon himself, upon his son, to save us from his righteous indignation, fully directed us at us as we lay there in a mess of our own sin, the chief of which is idolatry. We've answered the question, what is an idol? We've said that God made you to be satisfied by him and enjoy seeing him and savoring him. We've said that if your life is all about something else and not about the Lord, then you are missing out on the joy of the Lord. But what is it that makes an idol so dangerous? except that you lose your joy in the Lord and you have the fleeting pleasure of sin. Paul said in his letter to the Colossians, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The reason idolatry is so dangerous to your soul is that the wrath of God is coming. Pastor John Piper points out in a sermon on this topic that, quote, nothing is more dangerous than the wrath of an omnipotent, all-righteous God. Why would the wrath of God be coming on the idolater? That question may be answered by looking back again at Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. I'm going to read this from John Piper. The wrath of God comes on the idolater because God is jealous. There is a righteous and holy jealousy and an unrighteous and weak and insecure jealousy. And God's jealousy is not only righteous because he deserves our deepest and strongest affections and admirations. He is loving. It's a loving jealousy because we were made to find our greatest joy when he is our greatest treasure. He is jealous that he be honored, and he's jealous that we be satisfied by treasuring him. So he is jealous in a loving way, and he's jealous in a righteous way. And if we find God to be so boring and so negligent that we must put other things in his place that really satisfy us more than he does, then we not only offend him, but we destroy ourselves. And those two things make God angry. He doesn't want to be offended, and he doesn't want us to destroy ourselves. And idolatry contradicts both of those things so that his wrath comes upon the idolater. That's why it's so dangerous. Idolatry is the act of loving too much what ought to be loved less. An idol is the thing that is treasured more than God. Unquote. Paul said in Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppressing the truth that God is all-satisfying by pursuing satisfaction elsewhere is a sin of the highest magnitude. And the most dangerous place to be in this world is under the wrath of God, the wrath of a jealous God for inciting him to holy jealousy. Ephesians 5.5 says, You may be sure of this, that everyone who is, that is, remains, sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If that doesn't scare you spitless, Christian, it probably should. In today's scripture reading that we heard, in Joshua chapter 24, that Joshua gathered all the people together and gave them this charge, choose this day whom you will serve. How did they answer him? They said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Does anybody know what happened next? Judges follows Joshua. Judges chapter 2 
is perhaps the most heartbreaking in all the scripture. Verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 8, Joshua died. Verse 9, they buried him. Verse 10, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Are you kidding me? You mean the fathers didn't take responsibility to lead their wives and children in family worship day after day? No, they did not. Fellow fathers, we can't make our children follow the Lord, but we are responsible for leading family worship. Make whatever sacrifices you need to make so that you personally teach each of your children the Bible, the whole Bible. Your job is not that important that it should get all your time. Verse 11, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. Can you see that that's quoting Exodus 20 and Joshua 24? And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. Paul said, as recorded in Acts 17, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Hebrews 12.25 says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him, that's Jesus, him who warns us from heaven. Jesus is very serious about sin. Ask him if he felt it was necessary to come to earth and take it upon himself to personally atone for your sin and mine. Jesus is very serious about idolatry. If you are given to sensuality and to every kind of pleasure and to covetousness, which is idolatry, flee now to the cross for mercy. Put away childish things. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In your struggle against sin, 
Lift your drooping arms and strengthen your weak knees. Have you craved? Have you sought to be satisfied by something other than God? Then hear the words of mercy. Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Yes. Verse 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. That's the undoing of the curse in Genesis 3. The promise to every believer and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. If you sowed to the flesh, and you sowed to immorality, and you're reaping the fruit of sin, which is death and thorns, then know for certain that today is the day of salvation. For all those who repent and seek the Lord. For as we often say here in this congregation, Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. First Thessalonians 1 says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God made you to enjoy him, and to have your greatest satisfaction in him, and to treasure him above all others. Neglecting to enjoy God supremely is idolatry, and warrants his judgment, and Christ Jesus came to receive the righteous wrath of God upon himself, that you might not be condemned, that we might no longer be under the judgment of God, that we might be lifted up and clothed with new clothes. We who, like Adam and Eve, were, were clothless 
in our sin. We had nothing to protect us from the wrath of God. And so Jesus lived righteously. He lived his entire life righteously before the Father saying, Behold, it's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will. And he did. And with his righteousness, he clothes you, repentant Christian, repentant sinner, he clothes you. And you remain clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It says in the scripture, you are the righteousness of Christ. That's true. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we are no better than those who came before us. We're no better than those who were having a giant party of idolatry, worshiping some stupid metal calf right when Moses came down from the mountain with your commandments, your sacred commandments to have no other gods before you and to not make an idol. We are no better than our fathers who came before us who were gathered together to hear Joshua renew the covenant and command them, choose who you're going to serve, whether the Lord or whether whatever other gods. We are no better than their children who grew up not knowing you. Oh God, we fly to you and to your cross for mercy. Every day we're in need of your grace. Every day we're idolaters. Every day we need your mercy to be new for us. Every morning it is. And so we cling to these very great and precious promises, knowing that in us, your holy church, united around the world and through history and into the future, knowing that you have made us for yourself one body, cleansed us, clothed us, and made us so beautiful and pleasing to you that you might rightly call us your bride, clothed in holy garments, in fine linen, white and clean. You've adorned us with a beautiful headdress. You've clothed us in shining white silk. You've blessed us, crowned us with your love and your compassion. And today, we stand in hope, knowing that you'll never take it back, for your covenant is everlasting. Your covenant of love is to a thousand generations of the children of those who love you and keep your commandments. And so we've come to you, hoping not in ourselves or our own being good enough or whatever, We've come to you this morning as every morning to forsake our idols and to be gathered around your table and drink not the blood of death and the bread of bitterness for you took that. You loved us with an everlasting love. We've come to gather around your table to drink wine and eat free bread that we didn't pay for and didn't earn and didn't deserve. You have become to us our Father and we have no other. In Jesus' name, amen. And so now I give you this charge. Keep yourselves from idols.
Amen.